the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The world will tell you that suffering leads to failure. The Bible? Oh, the Bible has something vastly different. Suffering leads to triumph, as we'll see next. Join us. Over the last couple of programs, we've been focusing on our lives as contrasts to the world. Now, one of those contrasts can be found in how we view suffering. The world will say it's failure. The world will tell you that you're weak. This Bible, however, God's Word, the Lord will tell you that there is triumph in suffering. And that's what suffering will lead to as believers in Christ. Welcome to the broadcast. This is Truth For Today. Pastor Phil Howard will take us to 1 Peter chapter 3 as we focus in on verses 18 through 22. Suffering leads to triumph. Suffering in the will of God leads to triumph. Uh, I think I shared last week that the book has been, uh, in many parts, rather depressing to a coward. When he keeps telling me, consider yourself blessed when you suffer I said, Lord, give that promise to someone else. I want to be blessed so as not to suffer. Uh, But he's writing to a people that are being persecuted, will be persecuted. Uh, Peter will be uh, decapitated by Nero. Paul will be decapitated by Nero. So they're not talking theory. They're talking real persecution, real oppression of God's people. Uh, with us, we try to imagine. And we a lot of times say sin so bad and the pressure. Now we're talking about people that come to arrest you. People come to incarcerate you. And even to execute you. So he says in chapter 2, verse 22, that when you suffer, Christ has left you an example To not return evil for evil, uh, reviling for reviling, threat with threat. And he perfectly modeled that in his own life and his own suffering. So that is the template given to us. Not Rambo, but Christ. Christ is the way and the model for God's people to go through their suffering. Then he goes on. And look at 3.13. He says something like this. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? And I want to say, Peter, all kinds of people. Why do you think we've got guns, locks, and security? He's just saying hypothetically. You know what? As a whole, if you do good, you'll be rewarded, right? But perchance you may have to suffer. Verse 17. For it is better if it is God's will 
to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Uh, wow. And I've kind of, uh, I've been searching in the book and hoping, is there anything beyond suffering? Is there any, uh, where does it end? And I think he begins this section in verse 18 to 22 with some of the greatest news, good news, in the whole book of Peter. Because he's saying this ultimately, and we're going to look at four triumphs, four triumphs of Christ through his suffering, how he came out on the other side, and it is the pathway for you and I that it won't end with martyrdom, it won't end with persecution, it won't end with execution, that where the saints are headed will not be in an arena eaten by lions or, you know, booed by a mob. No, as it is with our Savior, his suffering led to glory. It's exactly where ours is going to lead us. And so we're going to look at four triumphs of Christ uh, through suffering. Four triumphs. Look at the first one, verse 18. Uh, We see the triumph of Jesus in his suffering in verse 18. Listen to what it says. For Christ also suffered once for all for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven And is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers. And these are different ranks of angelic beings in submission to him. Uh, First of all, he triumphed through the cross. He triumphed through the cross. Now, that is the... uh, darkest day in history the darkest day in the history of the sun I mean to wind up crucified next to the city dump of Jerusalem outside the city limits the king is not even in the city of the king but he's outside the city wall next to the dump shame nakedness wounds rejection spit crown but listen to what he said happened there I died once for all that is 
magnificent for sins. No more Levitical priesthood. No more animal sacrifices. No more. There is no sacrifice anyone can ever bring to God since the cross that God will pay any attention to. It's his son's death and that alone that gives you access to God. That death alone, once for all, and what happened there? The just, the righteous one, takes the place of the unrighteous one. That is good news. We finally have a substitute for our sins. The blood of animals could never wash away sin. They were all symbolic, 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 waiting for this event. And so in it, when you say he's being rejected, when all of that You don't know the whole picture. In God's sight, the father's looking on. He said, this smells good to me. My son is being made a guilt offering for the sins of his people. I'm pleased with it. I am satisfied. This is enough, son. This is enough to purchase sinners. This is enough to get a man or a woman who puts their faith in Christ to get them to heaven. His death. His death. And then he said, what did it do? It brought you to God. I come to God on the basis not of my merit, not on the basis of any gifts I've ever given to the church, not on the basis of my baptism, not on the basis that I'm in under the right label church, Who cares what your label is if you don't know Christ? You must know Christ. And so he said, this one death is what brings us to God. And he accomplished it. It is finished. It is paid for. And no sinner will go to heaven through any other means but the triumph of Christ on the cross. That's triumph. So you say, oh... This is defeat. No, no. He accomplished everything he set out to do at the cross. It was done. We cling to the cross. We cling. I love what Spurgeon said. He said, put your foot at the foot of the cross and stretch your other foot as far as you can go. He said, spread it as far as, but always keep one foot at the foot of the cross. He says, He goes on to say something about Christ, that uh, he died in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. There's debate over this. Some uh, commentators make a division here. They're talking about the body, the flesh, versus the immaterial part, my spirit. So they divide up Christ, body, spirit. Okay. Others, as NIV translates it here, they just say he was made alive by the Holy Spirit. And that may be true. Others take a view that he's talking about two spheres, two spheres of existence. In the realm of the body, he died. The whole being died. His spirit was involved. His soul, all that he was, all that he was in his humanity, died on the cross. 
But in resurrection, he was made alive in the realm of spirit. And I take this to be his resurrection, that Christ was resurrected. There's theories out there that Christ during his three days went and preached in hell. I don't think that's true. Uh, People have got it in these three days. He did all kinds of things. No, I think it's when he was resurrected. He started doing all kinds of things. But he died in the realm of the flesh. He was made alive in the realm of spirit. So I believe I take it in his resurrected body. He did the following. Watch this triumph. After being made alive... He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. You went to what? Imprisoned spirits. What in the world was he doing there? Where's that? When did he do it? I think it was after he was resurrected. You remember he appeared for 40 days to the disciples. So in that resurrected body at 40 days and still visiting the earth, going back and forth. He didn't get a motel at night. He can, he can come and go as he will. But he went to a place here, he says, it was a prison house. Where are spirit beings? Where, where, is, where are all the angels that rebel with Satan? Are they in prison? When you read Ephesians, our warfare happens to be with spirit beings that are in the air. Principalities and powers that are now at work in the air. So of the fallen angels, probably... I don't, I don't know that I could prove this. The majority of them are still roaming in the air. If you remember Daniel when he prayed, uh, he couldn't get an answer from Michael because he was fighting with the spirit beings running Persia, the spirit beings running Babylon. There's a whole network of spirit beings out there. In this, uh, what, what scares you, they also go to church. Maybe that's why you can't get anything when you hear the sermon. The devil's on your shoulder. Because what does he do? He snatches the word of God before you get outside. He said that in Matthew 13. That when the seed is sown, the birds of the air come, which is the devil, to steal the word of God out of your heart. Why can't you remember the word of God, but you remember all the stats on the baseball team? You remember everything about the basketball game, but you can't quote one verse because the devil's having his way in your mind. The devil is the thief. He comes to rob and steal, and you get in trouble. Or something. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Hey, you, if you only just quote one good verse, it sure could help you. Well, I, I don't know the Bible. I didn't go to seminary. Did you go to church? Who's stealing the word of God out of your heart? How much Bible do you know? How much of it can you quote? Well, I, I don't have a good memory. You memorize whatever you want. How, what's your social security number? Go. Ooh, you know that, honey. 
You know just what you want to know, but the devil will see that you never know what God says. Because he hates God and he hates his word. But there is a category of spirit beings that did a sin beyond the original rebellion against God. And listen to what Jude, let's go over to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. Listen to what he says. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. If God did not spare angels when they sinned. Okay, is this the original rebellion? Watch. But sent them to hell. And this word for hell is a word Tartarus, which means prison house. Uh, even in Revelation, you know, demonic beings come out of an abyss. Uh, and where this Tartarus is in the whole underworld, I'm not sure. But he said he sent them to hell because they had not been cast into the lake of fire yet. But he sent them to a prison house. Putting them in chains of darkness. Somebody said, well, how do you chain a spirit being? I don't know. But what does chain represent? Restraint. Come on. Restraint. We put a prisoner in shackles. Well, these have been imprisoned. They're no longer in the air. They're out of action. They're out of action. They've been imprisoned. They're in chains to be held for judgment. They're headed for the white throne judgment and according to 1 Corinthians 6, 3, I will be there with Jesus judging angels. Now you don't believe it. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. 1 Corinthians 6, 3. I got Bible for it. Uh, Listen to what he says in Jude. Verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, wherever that was, but abandoned their proper dwelling. Oh, what's this? It's like God said, I made you for this sphere, but they abandoned it. Well, what did they do? They abandoned their proper dwelling. These he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So, we understand that in Genesis 6, if you read the coming of the flood, that right before the flood, he said the sons of God came down and married the daughters of men. And sons of God is one of the terms for angelic being, Job 1. Because angels are individual creations. They're each called a son. They're not in the family. Angels don't have angels. God created each angel. Which the fallen angels we call demons. And so these spirit beings stepped out of their mode. Entered the human race. Either demonized the women. Went in and possessed them. Or some say they they assumed bodies, so they procreated, and they had, gave birth to what is called Nephilim in the Hebrew, fallen ones, uh, men of renown, victorious, big, strong, violent, wicked, maybe even giants. 
So a weird kind of progeny were born. And these women had, been, had undergone cosmic rape in which these invading angels polluted the whole human family. Some scholars believe when it says of Noah, he was righteous or perfect in all of his generation. No man's ever been perfect morally or free from sin. They take it to be he was pure in his bloodline. Because God had promised Eve, I'm going to send a deliverer to your seed. And he shall bruise the head of the serpent. And we believe the reason the flood came is demonic powers had so invaded and polluted the human race that God said, it grieves me that I've made man. You've ruined everything I have made, Satan. And this angelic invasion that I'm going to wipe you off the face of the earth. There's only one man. And seven others with him that I'm going to preserve because I am going to get the seed here. I am going to get a Messiah here. And I preserve this man and his family. And through Noah, Ham, Shem, and Jephthah, Shem is the Semitic line. I will get the seed of the woman eventually. But this was a satanic plot. To destroy the coming of Messiah by polluting the human race. And we eliminated everybody on the earth except eight people. Now what does Christ do in a resurrected body? He said, I'm paying a visit to the penitentiary of spirit beings. And I'm going to the door. And I'm saying, hear me well. I made it. I got here. I've gone to the cross. You tried to kill me at Bethlehem. You tried to kill me in Genesis 6. You tried to thought you wiped me out at the cross. You thought you'd never hear from me again. I'm here to announce you're defeated. You're liars. And your judgment is coming. I am a resurrected Christ. I've overcome death and the grave. I've overcome the satanic plot. Can you imagine if you were really saved, you could jump a pew right now and run about three, run about three rows. But we're so tame. You talk about truth. This is our Christ. This is the Christ. I suffered. You thought that was the end. You haven't seen the end, honey. You haven't seen him in a resurrected body. When he tells these spirit beings, I routed your plan. I've incarcerated you. And you got the lake of fire coming. It's coming. Because you tried, you tried to uh, defeat God's plan. Matter of fact, if you want an astounding verse, look with me uh, to Colossians. Thank you, Matt, for bringing it up here today. Colossians 2. Look there. Book of Colossians. You're there, aren't you? I can't hear paper. How many are you using your phone? I get so tired of that. I want to hear paper. <laughs> to, uh, let's pick up verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. Which stood against us and condemned us. He's taking it away, nailing it to the cross. 
The picture is all the indebtedness or all the indictments against us that no doubt in the hands of Satan was a great tool to keep you condemned. And once again, we've come to the end of our time together here today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. As we lock things up for another day of broadcasting, we do so with a a way to contact us here at Truth For Today. If you have a question, a prayer request, comment, we would love to pray for you. If you have a praise report about how the program is encouraging you in Christ, we'd love to hear that as well. A couple of ways to reach out to us. The easiest, of course, our phone number, 855-833-9864, or our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, you have another way to reach out to us, and that is, especially if you have a question or a praise report, that you would like Pastor Phil to answer. Well, simply take your voice memo app on that smartphone of yours, record your question along with who you are and where you're calling from, and then email that bit of audio to us at tftquestions at valleybible.org. Again, the email address is tftquestions at valleybible.org. So email that to us. We'll run it by Pastor Phil. And should we use it on the radio, we'll even let you know when. And as always, you can again reach out to us at our website, truthfortodayradio.org, or by calling 855-833-9864. You can also write to us, 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. As you partner with us financially, bear in mind that we are able to continue this radio ministry through you doing just that, joining other friends and family members of this ministry to ensure that this program continues its ministry in the greater Bay Area. Please consider that as you reach out to us, and then join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.